For 40 years, Michael Myers has haunted this town. He is the essence of evil, and evil dies tonight. Halloween Kills, rated R, under 17, not admit without parent, in theaters and streaming only on Peacock now. Fall is a season of gathering that brings us together with warmth and color. So whether it's a birthday, anniversary, or a special event, celebrate your friends and family with a gorgeous bouquet from 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers makes it easy to find your reason and brighten someone's day with exclusive offers and great values on bouquets and arrangements. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. All right, we're recording. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Jack Myers. He is an author. He's an author of many books. Uh, he's written a book titled Row House Days, Row House Blues, The Delco Files. But tonight we're going to talk about an occult-related subject. Probably has some disturbing information, so you might want to uh, be careful when you're listening and other people who are around listening to the audio. The title of his book is The Son of Zodiac. How the Zodiac and Son of Sam serial murders were meant to usher in the coming of Satan. And it was recently published. Um, and so we're just going to uh, talk about that. Jack, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thanks, William. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Great. I'm glad, uh, glad that you're here. This is an interesting subject. Some of the things I've studied myself, I know a lot about Aleister Crowley. I know a lot about the Arliss Perry, Perry murder. I grew up in Palo Alto, so I know... Actually, know personally some of the people who were uh, around and not involved, but I knew the guy who was the priest who worked at the Stanford Chapel. I knew all this, you know, a lot of these people who worked, who managed the uh, office that she was working right. at. So. And, and I believe that the people who actually saw what happened there were fairly certain that that murder, um, that that crime scene was satanically influenced. I know the police tended to look elsewhere to look at a basically your lone psycho, your lone nut killer. But um, it was certainly, from all appearances, premeditated right. and was satanically influenced. And I believe the church officials stated so. Well, and, you know, the graphic nature of the crime and the date Crowley Mass, the celebration within the OTO that takes place Correct. on Crowley's um, birthday. It was, uh, I, I guess it was on the evening of October 12th, if I remember That's correctly, correct. which yes. would be Alistair Crowley's birthday. Correct. And one of the um, Zodiac murders was also committed on the eve of of his birthday. And in most religions, I believe that um, a uh, a holiday starts after the after sundown of the evening before. Like we celebrate Christmas, and Christmas Eve is a part of that. So usually, right. after sundown on the day before is considered part of that holiday. And right. the murder of Paul Stein by the Zodiac in San Francisco was committed October 11th, I believe. Right, he was the taxi driver. So maybe what maybe we can do, driver. right, we can just follow the, the arc of your book and talk mm -hmm. first about the Zodiac murders that took place in Northern California and right. then uh, that area and then and then talk to the Son of Sam and then we can talk about uh, the similarities and your conclusions. So maybe we can sure. just get started with a general recitation of what the Zodiac crimes were and when they when and where they happened. Well, that depends on, of course, who you talk to. There were four definite Zodiac-related crimes, uh, murders, and um, just about everyone agrees on those four. After that, there are several crimes that different people, whether uh, they were investigators or authors or later researchers, 
would put in that category. So um, the four, let's start with the four main ones. Okay. And they would be David Faraday and Betty Lee Jensen on, uh, let's see, December 20th of 1968. And if, uh, uh, if someone is paying attention, they'll notice that that happens to be on the evening before the winter solstice. Right which I, I don't see as a coincidence. And there was also a new moon that night. So uh, if you look at the Zodiac murders, not only the definite ones, but the ones that you could put in the category as strong possibilities, they were almost always committed on either uh, on or adjacent to a new moon or full moon, never on the quarter moons. So we can start with the Faraday Gents murder on the 20th of December, you had two high school students who were parked on Lake Herman Road, and they were shot to death. There were no witnesses, but uh, people going by noticed the car there. Uh, this was on a road between Benicia and Vallejo. And so the students, they, they were actually high school students out on a date. They're observed in the car, and uh, there was a six-minute window of time for the crime to have been committed. The police reconstructed this by talking to all the people in the area and asking for people who had been in the area to report to them. And so a few drivers had gone by and seen that uh, the teens in the car. They were fine. Then the driver went by, and he noticed two cars, and the second car was a dark model sedan with no chrome. Six minutes later, a woman who lived nearby happened to come by, and she saw a horrific sight. She saw the boy. It looked like he had fallen out of the car and was lying half in and half out of the car. And then the girl, Betty Lou Jensen, was lying about 30 feet away, covered in blood. There was quite a bit of blood at the scene. And so the witness took off and went and got the police. The police investigated. Uh, discovered that these two had been shot with uh, a small caliber weapon. And they were quite surprised that the girl who had run about 30 feet away from the car was shot in a tight group, and she was shot five times in the back uh, in, in a very small space. And they wondered how somebody could be so proficient with a weapon. As it turned out later, the killer would actually write to the police and describe how he had taped a flashlight a pencil flashlight to the barrel of his gun. He was very aware of the light settings because somebody in the newspaper said, well, there probably was sufficient light. And the killer later wrote, no, there are high hills and trees in that area. It is very dark. And he mentioned how dark it was out. So he was aware of the new moon situation. And uh, th this eventually went and became sort of a cold case. The town, towns of Benicia and Vallejo were very upset. But it was written off as sort of an isolated case, and it was investigated. These were really good kids. Uh, the boy, David, was, I believe, a Boy Scout or an Eagle Scout. Uh, the girl was very popular, a good student. Uh, they were, they were uh, active in their church, came from good families, and uh, just had absolutely no enemies except for one possible local boy who was interested in Betty Lou, and she, you know, she had turned him down and was dating David instead. But when the police looked into that, they found out that the boy had been at home. There had been a birthday party, and there were several uh, family members present at the house, and he was definitely there. So he, he had nothing to do with this. 
And when the press interviewed, uh, I think Sergeant Les Lundblad was his name from the Vallejo Police Department, they asked uh, as to a motive, and he said, "This is, we have no motive. It's completely senseless." Yeah. Meaning that this was just seen to be killing for killing's sake. Right. So that was the first one that they they believed, and that area. Vallejo, and uh, that area was rural at the time, actually. It was, uh, it was very rural. In fact, where where this murder occurred is still fairly rural. That, that road has not changed much. Vallejo has moved, has expanded greatly. But in, in that area on Lake Herman Road between Vallejo and Benicia, it's still pretty much as it was back then. Not that many houses. You have the pumping station, the lake. Uh, the old, what they call the Zodiac shack is gone. The kids used to think the Zodiac lived there. Uh, but it's, it's still rural. It's two-lane road and, and, and quite rural, and people still like to go out there uh, on dark nights. A lot of the uh, documentaries go out there because it's, it's quite an eerie scene uh, out, out there at the, at the gravel turnout. Gotcha. So what was the next uh, one that was tied to this well this several several time. months went by and this thing became a cold case and uh nobody expected anything more to happen and then on july 4th the evening of july 4th you basically had almost the same murder occur just a little a little over two miles away uh not far from lake herman road just off of columbus parkway and this happened at blue rock springs park Again, we had a, a, a young couple. Uh, the, the woman was 22. She was married. Uh, the man with her was you know, supposed to be just a friend. He was a little younger, 19, Mike Mugeau. And they had pulled their car into, uh, into a golf course parking lot. There had been some teens there throwing fireworks, but the teens left. And so uh, basically uh, Mike and Darlene were in that car in, in the were there all by themselves. The next thing they knew is they were listening to the radio. A car pulled up and pulled up behind them and just sat there. And Mike was a little startled. And he asked, Darlene, what's going on? Do you know who this is? And she said, well, I, I think so. I, I wouldn't worry about it. He'll go away. And within a few minutes, the mysterious car pulled out and pulled back and then drove out of the parking lot and headed down Columbus Parkway towards Vallejo. And the couple just continued to talk and listen to the radio, and they thought this was, was all over. Uh, th this part of it is not talked about much, but five minutes later, five minutes or so, uh, Mike Mageau would, would later estimate, of course, he survived the attack. The car came back, or another car came back, and pulled up even closer to their car, and this time was shining its headlights right at the Corvair and was pulled at an angle, sort of the way the police have been taught to block in a car. Right. A man got out of the car. He had a very bright flashlight, and he walked toward the passenger side of the Corvair. Uh, Darlene and Mike figured, oh, okay, this is, this is the police, and they want to see some ID. So they started fishing for their ID. Next thing you know, uh, the man said nothing, although years later, Majot would say that he believes the man said the word or said the name D, which was Darlene's nickname. But the initial police reports, he said the man said nothing. Uh, suddenly, there was a muzzle flash and bullets started to fly into the, the car. Uh, both the male and female were struck. Uh, Majot, 
tried to get away by climbing into the back seat. He sort of, uh, I think, put his feet up on the dashboard and hurled himself into the back seat, kicking and, and thrashing. But the bullets kept coming. He had been shot in the jaw, in the neck, I think in the body, and somewhere around the knee or the ankle. And uh, Darlene was slumped over the wheel, pretty much unconscious at this point. The killer walked away and started to go back to his car. The, I think the thing that was causing Joe the most pain was the, the, the shot he took to the knee or to the ankle. He was in great pain over that. And he cried out. He let out a moan. At that point, the killer turned around, came back to the car and filed, fired a few more shots, then returned to his car and slowly drove away. Mike tried to get out of the car. Uh, but he was very, very badly injured, very incapacitated. All he could do was open the back seat on the passenger side and basically tumble out onto the, the pavement, and he could go no further. He was going in and out of consciousness. But he did see the taillights of the car go off toward Vallejo. Gotcha, and he and survived, right? He survived. Uh, he, he was quite lucky. Um, now, these two were a little more unusual. We talked about the first murder of uh, Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday, you know, Boy Scouts and honor students. Mike Majot had been in trouble a few times with the law. Uh, Darlene had been, had led a complicated life. She was 22 years old. She'd already been married twice. She had a baby. Uh, she worked as a waitress at a downtown Waffle House. And, you know, she, she, she was seeing other men and just sort of like there was one of those women just liked the attention. Gotcha. And so that complicated the case because the police were, were always looking into her background. But uh, both her ex-husband and, and her current husband were cleared. Her current husband was at work. I don't think her ex-husband was in the area. But that the uh, thing that, that tied it to the earlier death is the police received one of these strange letters, correct? Well, no, they received a phone call phone that call. night. That's right, okay. Yeah, there was a phone call about an oh, about 45 minutes to an hour later. Uh, someone called the Vallejo Police Department. As it turned out, they called from a payphone only a block or two from uh, from the police uh, headquarters. So it was it was fairly brazen. And the caller got I think Nancy Slover was the dispatcher's name. Got her on the line, and he said, "I'd like to report a murder. No, a double murder. If you go a certain distance, I think two miles." along Columbus Parkway, you'll come to the golf course in the parking lot there. There's a brown car. There are two kids in it, um, and I, I was the one who shot them. I also killed those two kids last year at Christmas. Goodbye. Right. So and at so this he, point, the police had, were tipped off that they, they had something uh, really major. On right, them. and he thought the murder, whoever made that call, thought that he had killed both of the victims too, right? He, yeah, and then, well, Mike Mazzo should have died. There was a very odd circumstance that probably helped him that night. Um, Mike was very thin, and he was very uh, sensitive about it. He was a tall guy, but was very underweight. And even though it was July 4th and it was a heat wave, he had about seven layers of clothing on. He used to like to put all these clothes on to make himself look heavier, and that, that may have actually helped him. Uh, the, the, the detective who showed up, one of the, one of the first responders, was quite you know, amazed at what is this kid doing with seven layers of clothing on? But that may have actually uh, helped him to survive the attack. Gotcha. So now, now the one thing I, but I, I, I 
want to point out, uh, if we go back to the first murder uh, on Lake Herman Road, the cops were, you know, a lot of the cops were shaking their heads like, geez, you know, if, if this guy had just tried this uh, a few minutes earlier, a few minutes later, he wouldn't have, you know, somebody would have seen him and he may not have gotten away with it. What they never considered was there was a lookout, which is what was going on at, uh, as David Berkowitz would explain later with the Son of Sam case, that they had, they employed lookouts. And the cops were just wedded to this idea that this is a lone psychopath and he's doing this on his, on his own oh, and therefore right. was lucky. They never thought about the fact anybody was watching the road. Now, fast forward to the July 4th attack with Mike Mageau and Darlene Ferrin. What we have is that car coming into, uh, coming into the parking lot and sort of, sort of um, uh, casing the place and looking at the car. Right. So and then leaving, and then another car coming back. This is what was going on with the Sun Sand case, where you had somebody scouting for potential victims. It is very possible that that first car was a scout car that went and got the shooter, the, 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 the designated shooter. Right, for that so evening. they that's, were scoping. That's not talked about yet. Right, gotcha. Yeah, so it's, there's, there's seemingly some elements, and especially with the next case, well, just to give some background, that year, 69, was a bloody year. It was an incredible time of upheaval in the country. And then right after this death, July 4th and August, were the Tate-LaBianca murders, right? And, and Correct. They and, were, uh, I guess, the 8th and the 9th. It was the same weekend uh, the, um, the Zodiac had sent his first letter, I think July 30th or July 31st, and he sent a cryptogram, a part of a cryptogram, to each of the three major paid papers in the area. I think they were the San Francisco Examiner. Uh, Chronicle. I'm trying to remember the name. The Chronicle and the Vallejo Times. I think maybe the Vallejo Times Herald. So he sent part of a cryptogram to each of them and demanded that they be printed, gave evidence basically uh, proving that he was the murderer. He had information that no one else but the police would have and demanded that uh, uh, those letters and those cryptograms be printed or he would cruise around the next weekend shoot, shooting uh, as many people as he could. And, of course, the papers, not wanting to cause further bloodshed and having the story of the year, printed those ciphers. Uh, nobody at the first week could, could really solve those ciphers, but a high school teacher and his wife used some pretty, pretty basic uh, thinking, some common sense to crack that cipher. And, and that was announced, I believe, the night before the Sharon Tate murder. Gotcha. And, it and then, read, of course, the lob. Right. It read, I like killing people because it's so much fun. It's more fun than Correct. killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all to kill something gives me the most thrilling experience. Right. And that is why when, when you start looking at the letters and you mentioned Alistair Crowley, one of the newspaper reporters who really stuck with this story was, um, was Dave Peterson of the Vallejo paper. And he believed after seeing most of the letters that, uh, the Zodiac was influenced by Crowley. Basically, the, I'm going to do my thing, so, sort of a updated slogan or a 60s way of saying, you know, uh, the, the, about the uh, book of the law. Do what thou will. wilt. Do what thou wilt. Do, do what thou wilt, sure. Right. And uh, the collecting of slaves for the afterlife and, and, right. and, and sacrifices. Right. And so uh, Peterson 
began to believe that Zodiac was influenced by Crowley. And he also started doing a chart, and he was the one who came up with the idea that uh, he, he wrote in a letter to one of the other investigators. He said, this guy is a moon cultist. He's, he's doing this. To, there's, there's too many hits on new and, and, and full moons. Right. So he was the first one to pick up on that. I picked up on that independently. I did not know about Peterson or what he had found. The way I found it was uh, by reading a little piece in Maury Terry's book, The Ultimate Evil, right. where he mentioned that uh, except for, he found out from one of the prison informants from Berkowitz, that except for major satanic holidays, the Son of Sam cult met on Thursdays that coincided with cycles of the moon. Right. So when I read that, I thought, hmm, I, I did a chart and I could find no, car, no relation in the Son of Sam murders. What Maury Turney found was that those murders were committed around satanic holidays, but they had no, uh, they did not match Co up No moon new, correlation. No, no moon correlation. But when, as soon as they did that for the Zodiac case, it, it bang, 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 it was right there. And then I found out that Dave Peterson had been onto this as early as 1977. So all, all of the Zodiac crimes occurred either during a full or new moon. So it's outside of the realm. It. And right. more importantly, more importantly, none of the known crimes or suspected crimes happened uh, during the quarter moons. Right. You know, during, during the third quarter moon or the first quarter moon when you have the moon half light and half dark. And uh, but let, me, let me read you something from uh, the Internet from a site that talks about black magic and how to do satanic witchcraft. It says there is a spiritual feeling that is unparalleled during a full moon ritual that cannot be replicated or reproduced during any other time of its phases. And then no curse was ever so entropic or destructive than when it was cast during a dark or new moon. The moon will lend a powerful hand to you in satanic witchcraft. Yes. And, I mean, it's, it, it's right there if you want to look at it. This, you're talking about more than just a lone nut. And it, or if this is a lone nut, he was, as Dave Peterson mentioned, a moon cultist. So, so this, right. this was part of what was happening. Well, we haven't gone through all of the, the, the kind of tagged Zodiac crimes because there's even more ties to Crowley and black magic, particularly in the Hartnell Shepherd case, what's happened on yes. September 27th. Which is which is the next the next case. Right. You had the intervening month in August. Of course, you had the uh, uh, the murders in Los Angeles of Sharon Tate and, and the La Biancas, and which right. later became became known as the Manson murders, which were definitely cult related. Absolutely, and you, you get this in you nature, get this resistance absolutely. to that. Yeah, sure, Should, shouldn't be. So on September twenty seventh of sixty nine. Uh, we have our third definite confirmed. Light up the holidays with a gift from Shane Company. A crescent moon pendant necklace with an ice blue sapphire because you're over the moon about her. An amazing tennis necklace made with hand-matched diamonds that sparkle from across the room because this year you want to give her something truly spectacular. Classic drop earrings with cultured pearls to play up her glamorous style. Come to Shane Company for the broadest selection of fine jewelry designed by us. We have gifts in every price range. One of my favorites is our Snowflake Diamond Pendant for $285. Here's an idea. 
also get her the matching snowflake diamond ring and make it a set. She'll be twice as delighted. We've relocated our Cupertino store. We're now at 19900 Stevens Creek Boulevard. Or visit us in San Mateo or Walnut Creek. Now you have a friend in the jewelry business. Shane Company and ShaneCo.com. Another day, another unknown. It could bring your biggest order yet or a new cyber threat. Whatever happens, Comcast Business will keep you ready with a network that can deliver gig speeds to the most businesses. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary. Zodiac attack. And this happened four days after the fall equinox, and it happened the weekend after a full moon. And you had, again, a young couple, this time a couple from a Christian college. They had been dating, but they had broken up and were still friends. And I believe the woman, Cecilia Shepard, was uh, going to transfer to, of all places, uh, the college in Riverside, where one of the suspected uh, Zodiac victims, Sergio Bates, had, had been killed a few years previous. And she, she's in that case, uh, list of being a probable. Right. So, uh, so these two were getting together uh, one of the last times before Cecilia would move to Southern California. Their plan was to go into San Francisco, but they were shopping and driving around, and they realized after a while, hey, it's too late. We'll never get to San Francisco and make it back at a decent hour. So they decided to drive down to Lake Burias and basically just uh, you know take their blankets and and, and do a little uh, sunning on the beach and relax and talk. And, and that's what they did. They walked down on this, uh, uh, what basically is a spit of land, a peninsula that juts out into the lake. And at the very end of that peninsula, there's a small beach, there's a picnic table, there there were some trees at the time there. And they, and, and they settled in and were enjoying, uh, enjoying the afternoon. And... Next thing you know, um, Cecilia is lying on her stomach and she's facing back across the land where you had to walk down to the beach. Brian is on his back looking up at the sky, really facing more toward the water. And Cecilia became alarmed. She said, hey, there's a, there's a guy over there. I don't know if he's watching us or what he's doing, but he just went behind the tree. Brian Hartnell thought that she meant this was on the adjacent peninsula. Uh, he, he he had no idea that what she was talking about was some guy 20 or 30 yards away. He thought she meant she meant somebody a few hundred yards away, and he figured, well, this guy's just going behind a tree to relieve himself, and there's nothing to be worried about. And the next thing you know, Cecilia jumped up, and she said, oh, my God, he has a gun. And uh, Brian started to stand. He turned around, and there's a man in a executioner's mask with uh, a pistol, and he has this bib on, this black bib, with what we would later know as the, the Zodiac icon, that uh, crosshair symbol. Right. So the, the, the guy is you know, only 10 yards away, and he has a pistol drawn, and, and, and Hartnell is obviously very concerned and startled. And Cecilia asked, what, what do you want? He said, don't be alarmed. I just want your money. I've escaped from a prison up in Montana. I'm a little bit desperate, so, you know, just do what I say. And Brian started reaching in his pocket, and he said, well, you know, I only have 75 cents. And the man said, that's fine, Every, everything will help. 
and then eventually said, well, I'm going to need your keys because my car is hot. I'll have to take yours. And I am, you know, was looking for his keys. They were on the blanket. He couldn't find them. And the two started to get into a conversation, and Brian, this very strange conversation where Brian is saying, look, I'm a sociology major. I might be able to help you. Uh, I, I, if you tell me where you're staying, I'll get you a check. And there's this very odd conversation, and the man is sort of stalling for time. And eventually he says, uh, uh, now I'm going to have to tie you up. And Brian groused about that a little bit, but Cecilia said, look, just do what he says. And the man handed uh, Cecilia some uh, clothesline or cord, plastic cord, and said, you tie him up. So she had to, t- had to tie Brian's hands behind him. Then the killer stepped forward, took some more cord that he had brought with him, and he tied Cecilia's hands. He made them get on the ground. And this strange conversation continued. Brian asked, you know, hey, um, can you tell me, he said, before you go, is that gun really loaded? And the man said, yes, it is. And he actually opened the gun and showed him the clip inside that it it was loaded. And the strange conversation continued. And they... they, uh, went on for about 10 minutes and Brian noticed that the man was sweating and he was very nervous and he asked him at one point said you're you're kind of nervous aren't you and the man thought about it for a second he said yeah I guess I am and he was obviously stalling for time suddenly he said uh, well I'm gonna have to tie you up more and Brian said well, what are you talking about and he started to hog tie them which, if he was going to murder them, right, it really didn't make any sense. He already had them incapacitated. They were already tied up and on their backs, and he had a gun, he had a knife. Why did he have to hogtie them? But that's what he did. And Brian sort of complained, like, hey, we're going to have to stay out here all night, and it's kind of cold. And the killer said, you know, you just be quiet. And uh, a few more minutes went by, and suddenly he says, all right, I'm going to have to stab you, people. Well... Brian looked up and he said, well, you know, if, if you're going to have to stab somebody, stab me first because I can't be, bear to see her stabbed. And he said, all right, I'll, that's what I'll do. And he, uh, the killer reached over with a knife that was about a foot long. It was uh, almost, a, people have called it a knife, but it was really a, almost like a bayonet. And he started stabbing Brian Hartnell in the back. And he stabbed him, I believe, six times. Luckily, even though the wounds were very deep, None of them hit any uh, very vital areas, although Brian was still uh, going to suffer quite a bit of blood loss. And then the killer proceeded, uh, since Brian played dead, the killer proceeded to go over to where Cecilia was lying. Well, by this time, she's seeing what's happening to Brian, and she's freaking out, and she's kicking and screaming and trying to get a roll away, and the killer jumps on her and starts stabbing her, but she's moving, so... Instead of just getting stabbed in the back, she's stabbed in the breast, uh, you know, in the side, in the back, in her legs. She's stabbed all over. She's stabbed, I think, at least ten times. Finally, she just her cries were reduced to a to a whimper, and the killer basically stood up, turned around, and started to walk back up toward Knoxville Road, which was oh maybe a good distance away, five hundred feet. And uphill, uh, and it was uh, you know a, a dirt rocky path, so it was, it was a bit of a bit of a hike. And the killer returned to the road, and before he left, he took a, a magic marker, a felt pen, and he wrote 
the zodiac sign on the side of Brian's Carmen Dia. It was a very light color, maybe a possibly beige or white car. And he took a, a dark magic marker and wrote the zodiac sign. And then he wrote the date of the first murder, uh, December 2068. He wrote the second murder, 7-4-69. And then he wrote that day's date, 9-27-69, 6 put the time in there by knife and then disappeared. Uh, Brian and Cecilia were able, even though they were in tremendous pain and there was a tremendous amount of blood loss, Cecilia realized that, that, that her bonds weren't tied all that tightly. And she was able to get her hands free and then to work Brian's hands free. And they called, they saw a boat uh, not that far out in the lake and they were calling to the boat but brian later said well i think what uh, they probably think we're just we're just pranking them and the boat sailed away disappeared and he told to see i'm going to have to try to get up to the road to make help and she was in no she was hurt much worse and of course would eventually die from her wounds from mostly from blood loss and, and having gone into a coma and so brian step-by-step step, tried to make it up to the road, but he had suffered so much blood loss he kept blacking out. And just when he thought he wasn't going to make it, he saw a flashlight coming down the trail, and he thought, oh, no, this is it. This, the killer's come back. And uh, luckily it was a park ranger. A second or third boat that had passed them took the, uh, took the couple seriously with fishermen kept going and he had gone to the ranger station and summoned help so uh the two were rescued it took a long time time for the ambulance to get there unfortunately and cecilia both brian and cecilia were able to give a description of the attacker uh cecilia would slip into a coma later that hour on the way to the hospital and would never regain consciousness but she told the first responder uh, I think she told Detective Dave Collins that the man was 5'11 or 6 feet. He was white, and he had brown hair, and she had seen his face before he put the mask on. Brian would later describe the man as quite large, at least 6 feet, maybe over 6 feet. Uh, Brian was tall himself. He's about 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, but very, at that time was very thin, very lanky. And he said because he was on the ground a lot of time, it might have been hard for him to judge the height of the attacker, but he said, you know, probably six feet, maybe a little better. And he said the man was quite stocky, had a paunch, and he said it was hard for him to estimate, estimate the weight, but definitely over 200 and maybe as much as 250 or 260. And later they did find a military boot print, a, a wing walker, which is used by mechanics who service Navy jets, mostly, uh, size 10 and a half. And by the impressions, the uh, forensic people were able to determine the man was well over 200, maybe 220 or better. But what's remarkable about that is that they saw him without the mat, the black hood, and then he was wearing this hood that is in the exact dimensions of a magical hood that Aleister Crowley and Magical Orders Exactly. <clears throat> and I have a picture of that in my book. And if you look at the two, uh, it's hard to think that the mask that the killer wore and the, and the costume that the killer wore was not somehow influenced by the costume that Crowley was, was known to have worn. Right. I mean, they look very similar, down, down to the logo on the, uh, on the chest. 
And uh, I mean, it's also what's remarkable, and you speculate or talk about in your book, is that it was one of the daylight attacks, and that Correct. you believe it was, that it was that, a six thirty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there was the only if, if uh, there was an earlier murder in sixty three, which I'm one of the people I I do suspect that was a zodiac attack, and it was because it was so much like the Lake Berryessa attack. A couple at the beach, the killer had. Uh, the, the young woman tie up the man first. In this case, though, what seems to have happened is the young man balked and struggled. And there were bruises on his face, so he obviously was in a fistfight with the attacker, but the attacker got his gun, killed the young man, killed his uh, fiance, who was, uh, they were both just graduated from high school, right. and dragged the bodies up to a shack or it really wasn't even a shack, it was a lean-to that had been uh, built sometime before by a homeless person, pulled the bodies into the shack and set that on, on fire. The bodies were not discovered for, oh, another day or so. But right. the, the, the forensics told the story, and uh, the ammunition was uh, believed to have been bought because the killer left behind not only some of the cord, but a, uh, an unused box of ammunition. And it was small caliber, I think twenty-two. And it was uh, from the lot number, they believe it was purchased at nearby Vandenberg Air Force Base in the PX. Interesting. So like another military tie there. That was Domingos and Edwards. And that Gaviota yes. State Beach is, uh, you know, it's That's a That's exactly very right. Area. And that was uh, just a week or two before the summer solstice and two days before a full moon. And they were shot 9 and 11 times. Whenever I see those two numbers together, it kind of makes me... Sit up straight well, that's right. Head. Now, you see, you're you're more experienced in this in this than, than I am, William. And uh, some of the numbers, of course, I'm just learning that these numbers are not just mere numbers like they are to us. That they have powerful significance right. to people. Well, even in your book, the nine the nine dictums of uh, Levian Satanism are there. So nine is like the prime yes. power number, and then eleven is the number of magic. It's Crowley's number. See, I wouldn't have known that. I just thought he ran out of victims at number nine. <laughs> <laughs> no. But once I mean, you start getting into this, you, you realize that, that there, are, there, there are symbols that may not mean much to you, but mean a lot to these folks. Right, exactly. That's now, exactly right. one thing I, w- I want to bring up uh, before we go to the last murder about the um, uh, Hartnell Shepherd case at Lake Berryessa. Now, I, everyone involved with this case has struggled for you. What in the world was the killer doing? Why wear a mask if you fully intend to kill both your victims? Or if you wanted to wear a mask so that you're not seen, why, why, you know, why, why not just it? wear a ski mask? Right. Why, why wear this wear, strange mask? Why daylight? You know, why, why daylight? Right. And why out on this piece of land where... And I, I remember uh, Michael Butterfield, who is one of the primary... Uh, Zodiac investigators who does a lot of shows. He actually did a show where he did the same walk down to the beach that uh, that the killer did at Lake Berryessa. And he's looking around. He said, I, "This is strange." He said, "You're so exposed. Why kill here? Because you're you have to walk all these hundreds of feet out in the open to get to this little point out in the water, and then you're trapped. And then then after you kill these people, you have to go." all the way back up to the road. It doesn't make any sense. And I was reading a description of the murders on a very good file or, or website. I don't know if, you, if you've come across it. It's called uh, the Quester Files. Sounds familiar. 
and it, yeah, it has it has to do with mysteries. It's a very interesting site. It's it's, it's a generic site. It talks about the, the pyramids and how they and the mystery of the pyramids. So it's not just about crime. But he goes into the Zodiac murders, and he does a pretty good rendition and a description of what happened. And at the end, he says, why all the theater? And he used the word theater. What's the, why was the Zodiac being so theatrical? And it was those words that kicked off something in, in, in my mind. I'm thinking, okay, theater, theatrical, the costume, the oversized knife, the hog tying, uh, and, and he never the time never, the amount of time it took 15 minutes the amount of time and also the fact somebody said well he would have never used the gun because sound travels so far on that lake he knew not to shoot them so he stabbed them instead I'm thinking but he never taped their mouth shut they were screaming and screaming for help that that sound must have traveled so I'm thinking if if you have theater. You must have an audience, but where is the audience? There's nobody there. And then it finally hit me. These, um, this attack was filmed. It had to have been filmed. And, of course, Mari Terry strongly suspected that the last attack in the Son of Sam murders, the, the killing of Stacey Moskowitz and Bensonhurst, was similarly filmed, and, and he, he, he came up with a lot of evidence to prove that theory. And there was a man that he believes that was eventually killed uh, over, over the film, that. right? And, yeah, there's supposedly, the yeah, mm -hmm. that's not film, was probably it was supposedly. So, I, I started to think, well, okay, you're going to film this. I mean, they didn't have GoPros back then, <laughs> yeah. not many people had in '69 had sophisticated camera equipment. Most of those people were in the entertainment business. How would you, where would you film this from? from? And then it hit me, they filmed it from a boat, the boat that. that Brian and Cecilia called for help that sailed away was likely where they were filming this from. It's the perfect alibi. Even if they had been stopped, they would say, well, we're just out here pleasure boating, and, you know, we, we, you know, we don't have anything to do with go what is going on on shore. That, that explains the location out on this very exposed point of land out in the water. Close to the water. Do you know if uh, Faraday Jensen if, and Farron McGough Hartnell Shepherd, are these all kind of lovers' lanes, or these are places where couples drive yes. out? Okay, so they're Abs absolutely all three. Um, the, the turnoff on uh, turnout, the gravel turnout, was known by the high school students, both in gotcha. Vallejo and over in Benicia, and that was a known lovers' lane spot. Uh, certainly, the parking lot, uh, the dark parking lot after hours next to the golf course, which would usually be deserted, was a known spot. Gotcha. And, and this scenic, very scenic spot out on this uh, peninsula of land that juts out into a very beautiful Lake Berryessa was was a lover's lane spot. Well, these, have you ever day, read? Have you ever read the book The Beast of Florence? I I've heard about yeah. the case. It's a case uh, uh, about a serial killer in Italy. Well, supposedly I, it's one killer, right? It's supposedly kind of like the same type of thing they made up of Son of Sam and. Zodiac is that it's an individual, but it's the same type of deaths as all these, where couples are at lovers' lanes, but they had one case where they know there had to have been two people involved. They had to mm -hmm. have known because mm -hmm. one person was chased down, and the other one would have got away. So they know that at least two people were involved, but they're all these kind of same kind of involvement, cultism, full moons, really strange events, uh, groups of people. 
and they pinned it on one guy, this this very kind of uh, coarse character. I forgot his last Roberto. I can't remember his name. But um, if you look at those cases, there's a lot, and there's uh, you know some speculation. Some of these people are being filmed too. That there's there's watchers, and those were, yeah, and there was creepy. Yeah, there's a lot of creepy things going on there, where people are stalked, and well, it's really remarkable. Good, good luck convincing the authorities and, and some of these researchers that. They won't even entertain the possibility that there could be multiple people involved or or, or a cult. They simply are stuck. Even on the with, lone nut even theory. when even when Berkowitz says there's other people, you know, even he says he's well, in a cult. He's associated with a processed church. He's scared right, of them. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and not... the information is checked out, and and basically just about everything that he said turned out to be true. true. Let me let me read you a little piece. Uh, from the New York Times, and this was written August 3rd of 77. It's one week before Berkowitz is arrested. So nobody knows who David Berkowitz is. Uh, Stacy Moskowitz has just been killed, and her date, uh, Bobby Violante, has been blinded. Why, why, don't you just city, hold, why don't you just hold on to that, and we'll, we'll catch up with that point. Let's finish the Zodiac crimes. Okay, then we'll, then we'll pop forward. We'll, All right. we're almost, we have one more to go. Is Paul Stein, October 11th, Paul Stein. auspicious date. Yeah. And I'm going to hit you with a few things on that. Too. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Paul Stein is the last confirmed Zodiac victim. A very different crime than the lovers laying tight scenes. This occurred on October 11th, 11th at 69 in the evening. And, of course, as we mentioned earlier, on the, on the eve of Crowley Mass, or the celebration of Aleister Crowley's birthday, uh, Stein was a cabbie. He was a, I believe, grad student, married, and he was moonlighting as a cab driver. And on that night, I think it was a Friday or Saturday night, uh, Saturday night, I believe, he picked up a fare in downtown San Francisco in the theater district near the, I believe it was the St. Francis Hotel. And he radioed and dispatched, hey, I picked up a fare. Uh, somebody's flagged me down. I'm taking him to Washington and Maple in the Presidio Heights district. So that's about a 10 or 15 minute ride away. Uh, Paul Stein takes his fare out to Presidio Heights. And when they get to the corner where they were supposed to go, uh, something happened because either the killer uh, told the cab driver uh, to, to continue one block further down to um, Cherry Street or somebody signaled me, a lookout, I believe, signaled to uh, the Zodiac that, you know, you, you, you have to keep on going. Not a good spot. I don't know if they saw somebody walking a dog or a pizza delivery driver. But the corner of Washington and Maple, if you go on Google Maps and you look at the corner, I assume that the corner is much like it was. Seriously, who's blowing up my phone? Oh, yeah. Powerball. Big news. Powerball now draws three days a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. Here's a thank you to all military personnel, veterans, and their families. Get 10% off two future purchases at Target. Join Target Circle and verify as military. Offer valid October 31st to November 13th. Some restrictions apply. Many years ago. Uh, these are extremely expensive homes. They're removed from uh, the street, and they are surrounded by uh, lush landscaping, lots of high bushes and trees. So basically, 
they are designed for privacy. So if you're in those houses, you can't see what's going out on the street. And um, that is where that murder, I believe, was supposed to have taken place. But either the killer saw something or a lookout waved him one block further. So the cab continues on down to Cherry Street. Uh, Paul, Paul Stein pulls the cab over to the curb. And the next thing you know, the Zodiac who's in the back seat pulls out a gun, uh, puts it up to Mr. Stein's ear, pulls the trigger and kills the cabbie instantly. And it was quite a gory scene. There was blood all over that cab. Um, uh, so Paul Stein slumps over and instead of just getting out and leaving, uh, the killer either went to the front seat or leaned over and he cut a swath of Paul Stein's shirt, his bloody shirt. So it was a plaid shirt he was wearing and he ripped off a big section of the back of the shirt, went through the uh, victim's pockets, took his, uh, took the keys out of the ignition and took Paul Stein's wallet, but he still isn't done. And this is the part that the other researchers and people who talk about this case miss. There were teenagers at a party across the street on, I think, up in the loft, like on the third floor. And one of them happened by the window and he looked out and he saw this strange scene with the cab parked by the, uh, the corner of Cherry and Washington. And he can look down into the cab and he sees the Zodiac, this man sitting in the front seat with the cab driver's head in his lap. The Zodiac is cradling the victim's head. And I don't think he's giving resuscitation. <laughs> um, uh, nobody ever tries to explain that. And that is in the reports. That, that is there. Uh, the, um, the kids uh, noted the basically the description of the attacker. They estimated him to be about 5'8", 180 pounds or so with a crew cut, which is very odd in 1969 San Francisco. Francisco, seeing the young man with a crew cut. They estimated him to be 25 to 30 years old. After cradling Paul Stein's head, the killer gets out of the cab, walks around with some kind of cloth, tries to wipe down uh, any place that he might have touched on the outside of the cab, and then simply saunters north on Cherry Street towards Jackson. Uh, the teens go into a panic. They get, they get to a phone. They make a phone call, and they get the police dispatcher. And they try to tell the police dispatcher what has happened. In their description, uh, somehow something got misconveyed. Either they said something wrong or the dispatcher uh, misunderstood something. But she put out a bulletin that uh, in the area to, to, that there had been a robbery uh, of a cab driver. And be on the lookout for a, a, a black suspect. So the police who raced to the scene, there were two officers, uh, Falcon's Elms, they race to the scene. They're there in about two or three minutes, but they, they take Jackson Street, and just as they are traveling west on Jackson Street to go down Cherry, uh, they see a white, stocky white male with a reddish blonde or reddish brown crew cut ambling eastward on Jackson. Well, they slowed down and took a look, and he's a white guy, so he doesn't match the description, and they, they kept on going. And by the time they got to the scene, uh, one of the other investigators is there and is processing the scene, and they start talking. And they mention that they saw somebody. Well, why didn't you 
pick him up. And he said, well, it was, you know, we heard the suspect is a black male. And they said, no, that's been corrected. It's a white male. Well, they went back to where they had, had seen the suspect. And he, of course, was no longer there. They would later file a report giving some reddish crew cut 5'8 to 5'10, stocky build 180 to 200. But they they changed the age. They said the man was 35 and maybe closer to 45 and possibly had some gray hair in the back. Now, what had happened was the suspect then apparently turned left onto Maple. And when you turn left on the Maple, you only have to go half a block to where I think you're at Pacific Avenue. Uh, Maple is a dead end there for vehicular traffic. But there is a pedestrian cut through. There's a little walkway. And apparently the killer used the walkway across Pacific Avenue and went across uh, the Julius Kahn playground, which is at the edge of the Presidio right. uh, Army base. Right. And, and that's actually it's surrounded by a large cement wall. So it's about eight feet tall. So you can't see really see beyond it. And no cars. That, that uh, Pacific Road runs east and west you know so it runs east and west yeah, right. right and that and uh, i don't know if the witnesses were ever identified uh, i guess they were kept anonymous but a, a couple of people along pacific avenue reported seeing a figure of, of a man uh jogging or moving quickly through the playground toward the presidio and what is uh, you know and then of course there you have all the woods there and the police show up, and they get this information that the killer might be in the woods. They think that what we're dealing with is just an ordinary robbery gone bad. And they got the, started getting the dogs in the area, the search dogs, and they got the searchlights. And they combed. They, they finally had the entire canine search team, I think seven dogs. There. They had all these lights, and they spent hours going through the brush and the woods there, and they found nothing. Yeah, and you quote that in your book. I think you quote the police chief saying... Yeah, he said, you know, a mouse couldn't have gotten away. We had that area. So what the police suspected and what researchers later suspected was there must have been a car out there, maybe on Pacific Avenue, and the killer got in the car and got away. I don't think so, and the reason I don't think so is this. The one thing that the killer loved to taunt was the San Francisco Police Department. He had this thing... Even when he was killing in Vallejo, in Napa, in other jurisdictions, Benicia, he was writing on his letters, uh, Zodiac, and he would give the score. You know, like, I killed seven, I killed 13, San Francisco Police Department, zero. You would think after calling the Napa Police Department after the um, Hartnell Shepherd case, and I don't think we went into that, but he made a call from a phone booth in Napa near the Napa Police Station. And after calling Vallejo after uh, the Blue Rock Springs attack, you would think that he would be really itching to call the San Francisco Police Department. But he doesn't do that. He waits until the next day to write a letter and put part of the torn shirt that was taken from the victim, Paul Stein, in the letter to prove that he is, as he said in, to open the letter, I am the murderer of the taxi driver. And he said, I'm the murderer of the taxi driver at Cherry and Washington, uh, he didn't say, or, or at Maple in Washington, he didn't say Cherry where the man was actually killed. So Paul Stein's records 
sync up. He called in saying, I'm taking a man to Cherry uh, or to Maple. And, and, and then the letter from the Zodiac from the killer said, you know, I'm the I'm murder of the taxi driver at Washington and Maple. But the murder was actually done at Cherry. So this was a planned murder. And was supposed to go down Washington and Cherry, and the killer was supposed to escape, and he could have done so in a, in a minute or two, onto the grounds of the Presidio. Right. I believe that, based on the crew cut and uh, the, the looks of the killer, that that where he did escape was onto the base. Actually, I, I believe this was one of the uh, military members of the cult. And, and there's actually studying. been known in that area. There was a known cult right there under Michael Aquino, involved in pedophilia Correct. on the Presidio. The Presidio, on the Presidio used to used to house a ton of military people. It's now private. I mean, pub, uh, yeah, it's it's not a public military base anymore. But uh, back in the day, it was right. teeming with military people. Very right. cush houses, and, uh, et cetera. Yeah. Michael Aquino later appeared on. Uh, and, and he had been a high-ranking member at that time, at the time of the Zodiac Slings. Uh, he was he was a member of the Church of Satan. So, and eventually rose to be, I believe, the number two man under Anton Levey. Right. But by seventy-five, off, yeah. he he and his wife, his wife, who of course Lilith Sinclair, who had been a, a grotto or coven leader in, of all places, Manhattan, Box Six Six Six, Manhattan. Uh, so, so Aquino had split with the Church of Satan and had started his own cult, the Temple of Set, the Presidio. And it, it right. was known, and he admitted that he had been a Satanist since about 1968 and was openly practicing Satanism. And when asked on uh, these TV shows, Gerardo Rivera and also Oprah Winfrey, uh, how long have you been a Satanist? He saw us since 1968 and when I, I started my military career and they said, you know, has the military, how long have they known about this? He, he said, Oh, I've been open since very early on, since I first started. So the military knew that this man was a practicing Satanist. And he said, and he said on the show, it's constitutionally protected. It's my religion. And, uh, there was some curiosity at first, but, uh, eventually they just left, left me alone to do my job. It's, uh, you know, it's it's just a strange religion. It's it's a little different, like Buddhism. <laughs> <laughs> That's for people who don't know. He wrote a like an eight hundred page book called "The Book of Coming Forth by Night," referencing cruelly yes. all these guys. Yeah, so right. He's and yeah, also he wrote from what Psyop to Mind War. Have you ever read that that piece of literature? Uh, no, but I, I I understand the book was actually somewhat influential. That uh, his specialty was psychological warfare. Right. And he claimed that future wars would largely not be fought with conventional weapons. They would be fought with propaganda, and that you can fool with somebody's mind enough where they'll just simply give in to you. Yes, right. Well, he, he actually was an advocate for all types of radiation, microwaves to implant brains. I mean, his idea was not even to have a psychological operation on top of a psychological operation, but continued battling of mind mind control right, without right. a let up so it's constant mind war that was basically and, and this, the summation of his his publicly and this man continued document. to rise in the military and uh, you know he said i tried to keep my private life and the satanism separate and he, he was obviously a very bright man he was not only attained the rank of lieutenant colonel but he became a uh, 
uh, a doctor in history, I believe, and taught at, at Golden Gate University. Well, you know, his mother actually has a tie to Stanford University. She was one of the, she was a total genius as well. I mean, I don't know how smart Aquino is, but his mom was like a very young entrant into, uh, into Stanford. I think when she was 16, she was like a polymath. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, those guys have a core, you know, and then you talk about Earl's and, Perry, et cetera, et cetera. And I've listened to both him and his, and his second wife, Lilith, who, who is a practicing Satanist in, in the Temple of Set. And they do seem to be very, very bright cookies, but uh, they're, they're very upfront about who they are and what they do. But when it comes to some of the crimes, they will completely disavow them. And right. I, oh. I, I, it is my guess, if I had to hazard a guess here, I think that the Zodiac crimes were probably committed by a splinter group from his temple of Set. That is just a pure guess on my part. Well, but everything points to the in, Presidio. Interesting point. David McGowan, you mentioned in your book, but he actually had a back and forth with Michael Aquino. I have the conversation he had when Dave was still alive. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, it was an interesting conversation. <laughs> you know, of course, Aquino denies any malevolent uh, actions or anything like that. I can't remember what that subject well, was. Aquino, of course, um, was implicated in, in that pedophilia scam that involved, uh, uh, I guess, the daycare center right, right there on the grounds of the Presidio. He denied it. Um, and he gave the, uh, basically defended himself by saying for most of the time he was not in San Francisco, he was back, I believe, in D.C., so he was on the other side of the country. But children, there were children who picked him out and identified his photograph. Yes, that's and right. And one three-year-old uh, who was the daughter of a military chaplain, and uh, it, it was later, I think it was later claimed that some of the children being abused were singled out because of their parents' religion, that they were deeply Christian or they were the child of a chaplain. Uh, that they were singled out for abuse. But she she picked him out and uh, in a deposition said it was Michael Aquino who had abused her. And um, if I remember correctly, that, some of those kids had one of them had a venereal disease, like something. If I exactly. Well, yeah, that's yeah. where I was going. Okay. He denied it. He said this was all implanted into the children's mind when they went through therapy. And, and the, the therapist all agreed that these people, uh, these children had suffered not only psychological abuse, but uh, physical abuse as well. And some of them were able, a uh, few of them were able to describe the uh, sort of the rooms inside the Aquino house. There was a warrant issued. The police did go there, but of course the Aquinos are, are, are waiting for that. And they didn't find much except some of the satanic materials and books, which you would expect. And some unusual videos. I believe that they mentioned they found a soundproof room, which they, or some, what they expect, suspected was a soundproof room. And they were very uh, suspicious of that. But there was not enough basis to charge the Aquinos, and therefore they never uh, never went to trial. Uh, but, but four of those children, as you just mentioned, were tested positive for sexually transmitted diseases. And uh, who knows what they imagined or was transferred into their minds during therapy, but it was not the STDs. You can <laughs> you can bet on that. So you can bet on that. So right. Paul Stein was considered to be the last known Zodiac murder, but there are other ones. There was I think you listed Rodriguez and Martinez, possible Robert Salem, Donna Lass. Yeah, 
all these others are possibly we, around that time. And really, California was like a slaughterhouse. There was just all kinds of serial killings going on. Right. So it's it, it's hard to, um, you know, if, if the killer doesn't take credit for that, uh, the Zodiac did take credit uh, for the abduction of Kathleen Johns, which was a very strange case. She she was able to get out of the car and describe him. And, and of course, the man she described was 5'9", 160. And it's very interesting. When you look at the researchers and the reports later in the books, they describe this man uh, who abducted, uh, allegedly abducted Kathleen Johns as a stocky man. And I'm thinking, who is stocky at 59160? <laughs> right, That's not a stocky man. They were trying to make the description fit some of the earlier descriptions. The, the, the killer, uh, and, and of course Mike Majo's memory, was he was a poor witness, but we'll go with what he originally said. The killer was a shorter, stocky white man, about 5'8", with a round face and wavy or curly, light brown, almost blonde hair. Okay? Right. And then... At uh, you, you, you go to the Hartnell Shepherd case, and uh, uh, Brian Hartnell says, no, the killer was at least six feet, way over 200 pounds. He had a paunch. He was a big, you know, not fatty, not, not blubbery, but very, very beefy. Right. And he had a hard time estimating the weight, but he said, well, over 200, you know, maybe 250 or 260. And he had dark greasy hair. He said the hair hung down into the eye slits on the mask, and he could see some of the greasy dark hair at the back. Uh, the, the killer did wear glasses, and he suspected they were subscription gla uh, glasses, gotcha. or prescription glasses. And you can, they could have tell his weight by the boot imprint as well, right? Right, and, and it was measured at well over 200 pounds, but he could see the dark hair from behind the mask where uh, the plastic straps were there to keep the glasses in place. Some of the hair was peeking out. So we have a killer with long, dark, greasy hair. And then just a few weeks later, we have the attack in Presidio Heights on, on Paul Stein. And everyone involved said, no, the, the killer was 5'8", uh, 180 pounds, and he had reddish hair that was in a crew cut. <laughs> yeah, so all these different things, yeah. Nobody's, and, and, it, I, and we'll find that that's kind of the same in the description for the Son of Sam killings, correct? Right, right. So we can get to that. But like, uh, I mean, so those are all the crimes that happened. And then you kind of move on for, towards, you know, this whole Maury Terry. You know, I was, when he was exactly. alive, I was part of Maury Terry's, I mean, still, I still am on Facebook. He had a kind of a page people would share information. But, uh, yeah, and there's this, that page is, is still up, even though Maury's gone. Some of the people involved with the case uh, still right. discuss it. Carl so DeNaro is still around, yeah. So he's one of the victim, one of the shooting Car victims. Car Carl is still around, and he is absolutely convinced that the person who shot him was not David Berkowitz. He had actually bumped into David Berkowitz on the sidewalk before he got on the car, and he saw uh, the direction in which Berkowitz was walking. And the attack happened soon after he got in the car. Now, Carl at the time had long, dark hair, and he was in the car with his girlfriend. So it is assumed, since he was the one who was shot at the most, that the killer probably mistook him for a woman with, with, with the long hair he oh, was gotcha. wearing at the time. But he said that I saw Berkowitz just a few minutes before I shot. I saw which way he walked, and the, way the, ki you know, the direction from which the killer came it could not have been Berkowitz. 
And Berkowitz would later say, yeah, I, you know, I was there, but I, I did not pull the trigger. And it later came out that the person who actually pulled the trigger was not a man, but a woman. And the woman was a smaller woman and had trouble with the recoil, recoil on this big 44 caliber gun. Right, they were using the same gun for all the murders, right? The forty-four uh, snub. Berkowitz right? later said no. They had different. Oh. They had two or three forty-fours. They had okay. his, which was purchased in Houston by an army buddy. Gotcha. And that's the one that uh, the cops found in his car when he was arrested. Gotcha. So maybe we can There's just no go. There's no doubt that Berkowitz was involved and that he did at least two of the murders. But gotcha. the descriptions do not match. They match other people in his orbit. Why don't we just do a brief outline of all the, the Son of Sam murders? Sure. Okay. We'll do that. I mean, uh, maybe one thing I can finish up just on the on the Zodiac is that one of those letters they sent is full of occult uh, imagery. There's like an eyeball. There is the OK sign 666. There's the smiling sure. skull. So the Zodiac is permeated with all types of esoteric it's permeated. stuff. And, and, and as I said earlier, I mean, the name Zodiac itself is it is an occult right name. exactly the zodiac signs of the zodiac right so uh then we're gonna let's let's talk about the son of sam and, and those cases okay. and how um how similar they are to the zodiac cases yeah did i did i earlier read the uh the piece by howard blum in the, in the new york times you did not okay uh the august 3rd uh, piece by by howard blum he he wrote in the new york times one week before uh, Berkowitz was captured. Okay? Yeah. And this this is the exact thing why Terry and other people were so suspicious. Uh, basically what journalist Howard Blum wrote on August 3rd, which was a couple of days after the last murder, the murder of Stacey Moskowitz and Benson. What, what year is this? Uh, 77. 77, thank you. The, the, the killing started in 76. They continued for approximately one year until the summer of 77. That's why Spike Lee did that movie, The Summer of, of Sam. Gotcha, summer, summer. And uh, what Blum wrote a week before anybody knew who David Berkowitz was is this. Now is the best time to start working at Amazon. They are offering sign-on bonuses up to $3,000 and hourly pay up to $22 per hour. You'll bring home a great weekly paycheck, and many jobs come with benefits that start on your first day. That's higher pay, sign-on bonuses, benefits day one. And you'll be part of a safe and inclusive workplace ranked among the best in the world. Go to Amazon.com apply to start your job search today. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. He said that um, uh, the eyewitnesses to the shootings and the descriptions they provided have resulted in four different drawings by police artists of the killer. In these composite sketches, the suspect is a white male between 20 to 35 years old, whose height ranges from 5'7 to 6 feet 2 inches, who weighs anywhere from 150 pounds to 220 pounds. The descriptions are so varied that the police are now considering the possibility that the killer wears various disguises, including wigs and mustaches, and has gained weight to complicate uh, further his identification. This is how, you know, how far they went to try to justify that that David Berkowitz and David Berkowitz only was the son of Sam. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. In in the um, in the last murder of the murder of uh, Stacey Moskowitz, there was a very good witness, Tommy Zeno, an excellent witness. He was 
he was parked in this lover's lane with his girlfriend. He was there in his muscle car, and they're, they're talking. They were actually talking about this on the same case. And behind him was uh, Robert Violante's car, and his date was uh, Stacy Moskowitz. And so Tommy is talking to his girlfriend, and he happens to notice the rearview mirror. So out of curiosity, he peeks, and he sees a man walking across the street toward the car. And he figured, okay, well, this guy's just, you know, he's their friend. He's going to get in the car. When the, when the man got up to the door, he suddenly went into a crouch, pulled a, a handgun out of his pocket, and started shooting. As, as Tommy Zeno said in an interview two days later, he said he, he was still, he could see, he was so upset about what he had seen. He said, that, that guy blew those people away in four seconds. And they asked him what happened, and he said, well, the man, you know, then ran past my car and into the park. And he described the man as being probably 5'7", 150 pounds, had this crazy blonde hair uh, that could have been a wig, but he had high cheekbones, and he said, this man ran like a track star. He said, I've never seen anybody run that fast. And then, like everybody else, uh, come August 11th, August 12th, you wake up, and the news reports are filled with uh, the arrest of David Berkowitz. And he, like everyone else, got to see Berkowitz for the first time and out strolls this five foot eight pudgy postal worker who went probably about two and a quarter, uh, was not athletic at all. And Tommy Zeno was like, why? <laughs> this is right. the guy. And uh, Mari Terry, who was doing his homework, eventually tracked Zeno down, sat him down and said, you know, what did you see? It's why well, you know, I, I saw it very clearly. I, I, I saw the murder. Well, what did the guy look like? And uh, he, he described what he saw, and he, he said, Mr. Terry, it wasn't Berkowitz. Right. And Terry, Terry kept his cool and said, how can you be so sure? He said, Mr. Terry, nobody can get that fat that fast. <laughs> you can't put 70 pounds on in a week. Yeah, it's just incredible that the, uh, this, uh, there's so many different stories that, cannot, that Berkowitz cannot be involved. How many murders were there between 76 and 77? Uh, that's the, the son of Sam case is much more well-defined. There were eight shootings and a total of six murders. Gotcha. Uh, and some of the people, of course, uh, such as, as Bobby Violante were very badly injured. Uh, Mr. Violante lost most of his sight, was never able to drive again. One of the earlier people, a uh, woman who was shot is still in a wheelchair. So even the people who survived, some of them suffered uh, horrific injuries. You, you mentioned Carl. Denaro, Carl, Carl still has a steel plate to set. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So, um, so these, these are very, very extremely violent and un, just not premeditated whatsoever. And just stroll, very similar to the Zodiac, strolling up to a car, often in a lover's lane, pulling out a gun, shooting the people in and walking away. The difference with the Son of Sam case is um, it happened in more of much more of an urban environment usually the killer instead of driving away had to run away and get into a a car a block or two uh they they, they because there were so many witnesses you couldn't jump into the car there you had to run around a corner and jump into the car gotcha. which gave uh, the public uh basically produced a lot more witnesses most of the shootings did have witnesses but the problem was that each murder you got a different description and they were so far off 
uh, it just couldn't have been the same person. Same person. And one of the similarities to Zodiac is the, all of this taunting, the occult uh, tinged letters, right? Oh yes, yes. The son and the son of Sam letters. Uh, there were fewer letters, but they definitely were satanic, and they had more actually more satanic references, more overt satanic references than the Zodiac letters. I mean, the killer said that he was a chubby behemoth, a Beelzebub. And, uh, and they included uh, on some of them the flat-out goetic circle of black evocations by Elvis Levy. Exactly. Right there. Exactly. I mean, it had the goetic circle, yeah. and there, there was there was no doubt about it. The, some some of the things that were were in those zodiac letters were more hinting at Satanism, where it was just out and out satanic in, in the um, Son of Sam letters. Have you? Did you ever hear that the Son of Sam is the son of Sam Hain? That that's really what it references. Short yes, uh, Berkowitz said that in a recorded interview. Okay, so that is the Sons of Yeah, that, that, that's, that's on tape. That's one of the interviews that Maury Terry did for one of the big uh, TV stations. Uh, that might have been on the A&E special A &E with uh, Bill Curtis. Yeah, so Bill I believe Curtis, he mentioned yeah. Sam Hain, he mentioned uh, Lucifer, and he mentioned his Moloch is another one of their gods. Right. I mean, and they had, I mean, he said that uh, it was part of a deep, hidden covert agenda they were about making war he i mean it's he right. basically recited the process church of the final judgment kind of information so or, or, or likely a, a splinter group i splinter. mean another thing that uh, I, oh, I wanted to get this in very important another another clue here uh obviously Mari terry went uh, did a lot of investigation into untermeyer park and not just the satanic meetings uh that they had but the animal sacrifices right okay and uh if you if you look further at the Zodiac case, you'll find the same thing. Let me read you something here from the uh, DogPress.com of all places. This is a website about pet ownership and the welfare of dogs and and uh, the upkeep of uh, of your pet. And they did an article several years back. I think it was 2006 about uh, unfortunately animal sacrifices. And here's what they said. Beginning in June of 68, authorities in San Jose, Santa Cruz, and Los Gatos, California, began recording the grisly discovery of canines, skinned and drained of blood, without apparent motive. As the director of the Santa Cruz Animal Shelter told, and actually who, who's being interviewed by was Ed Sanders, who wrote The Family, because Sanders was trying somehow to connect this to the Manson family. And I think he was, uh, excuse the pun, he was in the right church with the wrong pew. Um, well, he wrote a lot about the Process Church in that book, and the Process Church sure did, sued him. And they, they sued yeah, him. They yes. sued him, and that chapter's missing, but I have, you know, it's around. He said that whoever is doing this is a real expert with a knife. The skin is cut away without even marking the flesh. The really strange thing is that these dogs have been drained of blood. So it's not only animal sacrifice, but it is done in a very particular, very sadistic, very cruel way. Right. And then they, this article continues. Another hotbed of activity appears to be New York, where 85 German shepherds and Dobermans were found skinned in the year between October 76 and October 77. Wow. I mean, how much, how much clearer can it be? These dates match up in California with the Zodiac killings, and then they match up with the Son of Sam killings. And they had, um, 
they have there's pictures of processed guys with their German shepherds, you know. So the suspicion is is that they're pro, you know keeping on this tradition of what the SS used to do um, in Germany, which is you get a dog, you raise the dog, and then they tell you to kill the dog as a, mm -hmm. as a sign of loyalty. So I think that there's some correlation or connection between that. That, that may or may not be the case. I believe Mari Terry thought that uh, the Westchester cult that was responsible for the Son of Sam killings was a more violent splinter group or an offshoot of the process church. They called themselves the children, and he believed that they basically took some of the traditions that the process had, uh, where the original process members from England owned Alsatians, this particular type of German shepherd, hmm. and that this offshoot turned that around and were actually sacrificing them. So his way of looking at it was that the splinter group simply took a tradition and turned it on its head. Instead of having them for pets, you, you sacrifice them. You sacrifice them. Well, the guy you were talking about earlier, Dave Peterson, out of Vallejo, mm -hmm. referenced this statement in the Crowley's Book of the Law that there is death for the dogs, you know, so... They oh, yes, that's right. That was... Uh, you're, you're correct. He, he wrote that in... Uh, he had that in his notes, and, and uh, I looked that up, and sure enough, Mr. Crowley had that in his book. It's, as advertised. Sure. Well, supposedly not supposedly Crowley's book. He was it was a received book according to Crowley, but you know, you gotta take that with a grain of salt. Well that's that's exactly that is exactly what Aquino said. He said uh, he didn't really write his book about the Temple of Sad. It was downloaded uh, from this auto writing or magical writing, writing and that and that set the uh, Egyptian god who equates to Satan uh, transmitted this information to him. And of course, where, where he received this information and was uh, told to carry on with the and create the Temple of Set, where he, he did this was at the beach in Santa Barbara, which is where he grew up. And he was contemporary and went to the next high school over from uh, Domingos and Edwards. Oh, interesting. And was about their, same, about their age. He went to the beach and he consecrated the new Temple of Set at the summer solstice wow. in 75. Yeah, I mean, it's just all there. The uh, So these two, you know, so-called ind independent serial killing killings, I mean, pretty, all the evidence points to more people involved in both Zodiac and Son of Sam, Son of Sam Hain. Correct. correct. I think I, that, I'm not saying, of course, that the same people pulled the triggers or, 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 or did these deeds at the, at, at, in these two cities, but they're probably chapters of the same cult or related cults. I mean, these are, uh, these are birds of a feather. Right. No, I, I and, uh, and, and it, it's, you know, it's a shame because people, it's a very disturbing topic. People don't want to believe this, but this is happening. It has happened. Let me tell you another thing that's going on. While I was researching animal sacrifices in California, I found out in April of 2017, that 12 sacrifice dogs were found by a woman out walking her dog. And where they were dropped, where they were placed, was at the corner of Columbus Parkway and Lake Herman Road, right yes. at ground zero. Wow. Okay. And nobody gets the hint. And, and obviously the people who did this, they may or may not be connected to the original Zodiac cult members. But I think they knew blood sacrifices when they saw them. 
And so they did an animal sacrifice. They took these dogs. And I believe that, that they, they probably got the animals the same way that Berkowitz mentioned, where people in the cult were getting hired at local animal shelters, especially the big kill shelters like the SPCAs. And they would just sneak some of these animals out the back or over the fence. Right. That, that's how they were procuring all these German shepherds. But, gotcha. I mean, come on, 85 German shepherds killed in, in, in a span of one year in Dobermans in Westchester County? That's not David Berkowitz alone. Right. It can't be. It's, it's signs of a larger thing. Well, the Process Church morphed into Best Friends Animal Shelter, right? So they're, exactly. they're all, over the, exactly. all over the country. And, yeah, uh, and, I, and I have friends, and uh, uh, I mean, I, I happen to be involved in pet rescue. I'm a big cat fan, and my fiance is, is in dog rescue. That's largely how, partly how we met. And uh, so this, this particular thing is very disturbing to me, but I, I, I know how these shelters work, and uh, it's very hard to keep people, and, and uh, the pay is low, and you know, ha having to put uh, in the kill shelters, having to, to euthanize animals is just, uh, you, you sign up wanting to help animals and you wind up having to euthanize them and people just leave. And it was very easy for the Satanists to get some people uh, in these places. And I believe what they did was, uh, okay, you know, I'll, I'll take care of this, you know, this euthanasia this, this week. And, and I think animals were being hustled out the back door. Just right out the back door. Because right. the, tw the, the 12 dogs that were found in 2017, we're talking just not even two years ago, were uh, well cared for. They, were, uh, they weren't the victims of, uh, they weren't bait dogs or fighters. They were, some of them were big, but they were little Yorkies and dogs of all sizes. And they appeared to have been well cared for. And no one in the area seemed to be, have reported any missing animals. So there was a question of how did this happen, Where did, not only who did it and why, but where did they come from because we're not missing any pets. Right. And then a few weeks after these dogs were found, uh, whoever did this dropped a uh, sacrificed goat. They put a goat carcass there. And this is right at the intersection of Columbus Parkway where Darlene Thurin and Mike Majot were shot. And Lake Herman Road, where the two high school students, David Faraday and Betty Lee Jensen, were shot the year before, okay. and so 68 and 69. I, I, I have to think that somebody is trying to send a message. Yeah, it would seem to be the case to me as well. Um, one of the other interesting things that you noticed is associated, associated with these cases is the uh, relevance of water, that some of these things, and in my research of the smiley face killings, this whole death of young college-age men. Right, right. It's the same thing. There's all kinds of water associated with this. These guys are found in water, and, uh, you know, I found that to be pretty remarkable that there seems to be I, a correlation. I looked into that uh, because th this has come up a lot with the, with the Zodiac case. Uh, you talked about the first murder, Domingo, how, how it, at Gaviota State Park. Right, yep. And, and that was, of course, at the beach, so right. that had to do with water. Uh, and then Riverside, California, the Sherry Joe Bates murder, which a lot of people don't think was Zodiac, but the handwriting experts say that the messages that were left on the desk, the wooden desk that somebody scrawled on in the library, and then later the cruel messages that were sent to the police, uh, the press, and unfortunately to the victim's father, were also in the Zodiac hand, and they were signed with a little Z, long before the Zodiac 
went public with his name. He was actually called the Cypher Killer earlier. Uh, it wasn't until after the first few murders that he wrote and began with the infamous line, this is the Zodiac speaking. After the first few mur- murders for a few months, he was known as the Cypher Slayer because he had written these cryptid names. And that changed after he gave himself uh, that own, his own moniker. But you have the, the, the one, the killing at the beach uh, in 63 uh, of the two high school students. Uh, Sherry Joe Bates in Riverside, which is near the Santa Ana River. It's just a block or two away. Lake Herman, which uh, uh, was, was a well-known fishing spot back then. is not now. You're not allowed to fish there. Blue Rock Springs, which is really just on the other side of Lake Herman. Lake Berryessa, which is a beautiful, gigantic lake. It's, uh, I think, really more of a reservoir, but uh, just a stunning uh, venue. And then, of course, the disappearance of Donna Lass, which... Some people have uh, connected to the Zodiac, uh, myself included, because she worked at the Presidio. And uh, the Zodiac then sent a note with these cryptic clues that seemed to be indicating what had happened to her. But it was very hard to figure out. I do, in my book, take a shot at decipher the peek through the pines card. Right, that's that was Using Mari Carey's uh, method, uh, he deciphered a decoded message in the Son of Sam letters. Which basically, if you follow his, his code, his method, brings you right to Pine Street where, uh, where David Berkowitz lived. Wow, remarkable. Well, we are now at the 90-minute mark. Uh, I think we've covered a yep. lot of uh, information. There's a lot more information in the book, definitely. It's a, it's a long, informationally rich uh, piece of work. Again, the title is Son of Zodiac. How the Zodiac and Son of Sam serial murders were meant to usher in the coming of Satan. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover or we missed that uh, you like? No, to... I, I think we've given I think we've given the listeners a an earful. I just wanted to thank you again for having me on, and thank you for all the work that you do. I know you've done so much work with the Memphis Three and well, the Smiley you. Face thank Killers, you. which I, I I have started to to research um, well if you want to research uh, the smiley face killers the good news is that i put my documentary that i finished in october 2017 back up on vimeo so you can go check that out i think it's reasonably priced three uh five bucks for three and a half hours of a lot of research went into that and there was a lot of stuff that just came out recently within the last three months with oxygen with the original uh researchers the guys gannon gilbertson duarte they added a new investigator donovan mm-hmm. And so people can check that out as well. Six-part series. I had no idea that was in the works, but I was glad to see it done. And the one they did on Dakota James was a revelation. It was amazing. So I definitely would recommend to you and also to the listeners to check that out because it shows a variety of different things. One, that these uh, medical examiners are not doing a good job in looking at these uh, young men's deaths. So uh, there's a lot of information there. So check that out. But uh, where else can people... I appreciate find, that. Thank yeah, you. Sure. Where can people find your work and your book? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on uh, Amazon. Right now, it's just an e-book. Uh, I have plans for it to come out in paperback probably within a month. I've got to get that finished because the formatting is very different. And uh, I, I should have it out Great. fairly soon. So it's as an e-book now on, on Amazon. And uh, I'd say within a month, you'll be able to get it in paperback. And what about online? Are your your Twitter handle or you're on Facebook, right? I'm just on Facebook. Yeah, I'm an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm still on Facebook too. 
Anyway, yeah, I, I originally got in, I originally got interested in Zodiac at the age of fifteen in nineteen seventy when I read the Argosy. Yeah, magazine you wrote, that by, was the intro. To, yeah, that was the intro yeah. to your book. Yeah, interesting story. And you just have another one about the discovery of five thousand gold coins hidden that was found by that. The, that is a, a book that, of all my books, that, that your listeners might want to take a peek at. It's a very interesting book. Uh, it doesn't have much to do with the occult, but it does have to do with the KGC, the Knights of the Golden Circle, which was an offshoot of the, uh, of the Masons, and they were headed by Albert Pike. But these two boys in Baltimore many years ago, by accident, by sheer accident, digging in a dirt cellar, found a pot containing 5,000 gold coins. And the case was kind of open. Uh, the, the boys did receive some of the treasure, but uh, nobody could ever figure out where those coins came from. And by researching the owners of the house and all of their uh, friends and, and, and uh, conspirators, I found out that basically this was the local chapter in Baltimore of the Knights of the Golden Circle, which included John Wilkes Booth. Right. So there was that whole conspiracy to kill kill Lincoln came so it out is, of the it thing. is a conspiracy yeah. it's got to do with the assassination and not only the uh, eventual successful assassination in 65 but the, some of the earlier attempts especially the attempt on on Lincoln's life when he went through Baltimore in 61 on the way toward his inauguration interesting so it's a fascinating book it's um, if you like a good mystery and you like a treasure story um, that would be for you cool so again this is Jack Myers son of Zodiac how the Zodiac and Son of Sam serial murders were meant to usher in the coming of Satan. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks, right. William. Cool. I'm going to turn okay. this. Everyone loves shopping online. Well, I'm going to tell you what I tell my golf buddies when they buy clubs. Stop searching for coupon codes. Download Capital One Shopping to your computer. Capital One Shopping instantly searches for available coupon codes and automatically applies them at checkout. Plus, it's free. And you don't even need a Capital One card to use it. That's like hitting a hole in one without even trying. Capital One Shopping. It's kind of genius. What's in your wallet? Savings and available coupons vary. Welcome to Parent Teacher Night. Oh, yes, Miss Garner. If you have one of those airline credit cards, you're probably not earning double miles on every purchase. You're right. My card only gets extra miles on some types of purchases. With the Capital One Venture Card, you earn unlimited double miles everywhere. Wait, but where can we use them? You can use Capital One Venture Miles on any travel purchase. Venture gets an A+. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.